Hey everyone, looking for even more Superman talk? If you enjoy digging for kryptonite, and I hope you do, be sure to check out my new series, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman. It's a rewatch podcast covering the classic George Reeves television show from the 50s. You know from this podcast that I fell in love with Adventures of Superman and George's tough but charming take on The Man of Steel. Now, I get to explore that show episode by episode on my new rewatch podcast. Many of your favorite guests from this show are also popping up on the new series, and I hope you'll join us too. New episodes of another exciting episode drop every other Monday, and of course, Digging for Kryptonite continues weekly every Tuesday. Find another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman on your podcast platform of choice, and be sure to subscribe right away. Adventures await. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I am your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the Smallville Season 11 comic series is first-time guest on this show, Mike Rorson. Welcome, my friend. Hi, how you doing? I'm great. I'm happy to have you here. We are talking Smallville Season 11. This is the official comic book continuation of the Tom Welling WBCW series. The comic ran from 2012 to 2014, so it started not long after Smallville went off the air. And this is the first time that I have read it, believe it or not. For for as much as I talk about Smallville, as much as I love Smallville, the TV show, I had never read the comic books until now. And oh, I have a lot to say. And I'm happy that you're here uh, to help me unpack all of this. Yeah, it's something that I was surprised that you had never read because... Like we've had conversations about Superman and about Smallville before and everything like that. And this is honestly one of my favorite Superman stories. And not not just like Smallville the show, but the, the continuation comic, because like it it just to for those who haven't read it, it kind of like lifts all the restrictions that the CW had, for lack of a better term. Like the CW show was no tights, no flights. First issue, first episode, tights and flights immediately. Like you're 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 already in there. He's in the suit. He's like, "Hi, I'm Superman." That's that's where we start, and it's wonderful. Indeed. So I, I don't want to I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but I will I will prep the audience. I prepped you off mic, but we we feel differently about this about this comic book series. So <laughs> I think we'll have a very fun I think we'll have a very fun discussion. I remember. Back in 2016, you, me, and our mutual friend, Mike San Gregorio, who's been a guest on this show a bunch of times, the three of us went out to San Diego Comic-Con as reporters for Bleeding Cool. Boy, was that an experience. <laughs> and I remember the three of us grabbing a bite to eat out in the area around the convention center, and Smallville and Season 11 came up in conversation. And I, re- I mean, I remember when I said I have not read it. I remember your reaction and Mike's reaction, and it's a reaction that I've gotten from so many people. And believe me, I, I totally understand it. For as much as I talk about Smallville, it's kind of insane that there was this Smallville content out there that I hadn't consumed. So I, your, your reaction was totally understandable. Yeah, like, um, so I'm, I'm not a huge comics guy. Like, I'll pick up trade paperbacks and stuff like that. I'm, I'm not a week-to-week uh, bag and board kind of guy. But the only series, that I own every issue for, albeit digitally, because digitally was much easier to consume and to store and all that stuff back then. But the only series that I own every single issue of is Smallville Season 11. And it's just, it kept 
hitting me every week because like like you said it came out um, like shortly thereafter smallville was done so i was like i was needing some clark and lex in my life and it, it really filled the void pretty handily I, I hear you. Now, as far as, you know, you talk about how you own it. So let me just lay this out for the audience for, for a second here. So all issues were written by Brian Q. Miller, who was a writer on Smallville and has also written a bunch of comics as well. He wrote the Stephanie Brown Batgirl series, for example, and drawn by a host of artists. There were a bunch of different artists over the course of the series. I actually don't own season 11 in any form. I read it digitally on the DC app. I know that it is collected in, I think, eight or nine trade paperbacks. But what's interesting about it is it was a digital first series. And so what's on the DC app are the digital chapters, which were later put out as traditional print issues. And then again, later as trade paperbacks. So if you go on the DC app, as I did, you'll see 125 issues of Smallville season 11. And each of those issues is a digital chapter. And so when you open it up, it's still 22 pages, but each page is about a third of a traditional comic book page. And so what would happen is three of those digital chapters would then be put out as a single print issue, which was kind of weird. I had a hard time getting into the rhythm of reading it because, again, you open it up and it's 20 pages, but it's much shorter than a traditional comic. So I felt, I mean, it was fine. I got into it well enough, but... It definitely, I don't know that I ever totally got the rhythm of reading those digital chapters. It was just a different format. Yeah, like, I think it was just, I don't know, because I read it week to week. So it was a little bit easier to get into kind of the mojo of how they were doing it. Because it almost seemed like they were treating each individual as like, if you were watching the show, these would be your act breaks for commercials. Yes. Yeah, and that's very much, I, I did definitely get that sense. And, you know, you get to the end of each arc and it's like you've watched an episode and then you get to the end of all of the arcs and there's your season, there's season 11. So I had not read it for a couple of reasons. It wasn't, like, this was never the case where I was like, oh, I don't have time. It wasn't that. I was purposely avoiding it. And the reasons were twofold. <laughs> Number one, again, this is going back to when it started in 2012. I, I felt a very specific way about it. Number one, I've always had somewhat of an aversion. It's not anything that I can really put my finger on. There's no rational basis behind it. I've just always had this aversion to comic book adaptations or continuations of film or TV projects. And I unpacked this a bit a, a while ago on the podcast when I, I covered the Superman 78 miniseries. And I talked about it a little bit there. So I've always had that going on. I will say that the Superman 78 series cured me of that in large part because I read that. Have you read that? That's one I've been meaning to read. I, I've read a little bit of the Batman 66 uh, miniseries, but the Superman 78, that's one I've been meaning to. What, what so turned me around on that was... I, as I was reading it, I, I actually did have the Superman, the movie soundtrack playing, but even if I hadn't, I, I would have heard it in my heart and I could hear Christopher Reeve and I could hear Margot Kidder, I could hear Gene Hackman. It just, it felt like I was in the world of that movie. So that, that went a long way towards curing me of that aversion. The second reason that I had never, <laughs> that I purposely avoided this, and I only kind of realized this like over the past couple of days, <laughs> I think it was some lingering frustration toward the Smallville series finale. Okay. I love the show to death. 
But there are a lot of things about it that frustrated me. In fact, Zach from the Always Hold On to Smallville podcast, he came on here a while back. We did a two and a half hour wish list episode, all the things that we wish Smallville hadn't done or had done differently. And we spent a lot of time on that finale. We spent a lot of time on Lex's total mind wipe. We spent a lot Mm -hmm. of time on the fact that even though Clark became Superman, Tom Welling never physically donned the costume. Right. And so I think when they announced this comic and when it started, as much as everyone, you know, was saying like, oh, it's great. Like you get to see him in costume. You get to see this and that. My feeling was like, you know what? They had their chance on the show. <laughs> so I think those were the two reasons why I hadn't read it before now. Again, I know it was opposite for you. Like you were excited when they announced it and you, and you read it as it, as it was coming out. Well, there, there's kind of a reason for that. Because like when I watched Smallville, the show, I watched the first couple seasons when I was in high school. I kind of fell off in college just because it had jumped around a lot when it was airing, you know, unreliable VCRs, just the pressures of being in college and everything and overloading schedules and all that stuff. So I fell off basically for four years and uh, our mutual friend, Mike San Gregorio actually got me back into it because we were on our school paper. He would write a review of Smallville every week because I was the editor in chief and I let my friends do whatever they want. So he wrote a review of Smallville every week and um, the Smallville Times. I know he'll listen to this, so he, he'll know I have to mention the Smallville Times. Um, but it started getting me back into it. So I just started buying the DVD sets and I was able to buy the DVD sets and binge them once I graduated and finally got caught up to where I could DVR the, se- the, the final I believe season is when I finally caught up to it. So I was able to watch the series finale live. So I was kind of in a, in a mash it mashing mode of Smallville. Like I had really gotten back into it. Cause I was also when I kind of discovered Teen Titans and I was getting more and more into comics and everything like that. So I was really hitting the ground running. And when I heard there was going to be more Smallville, I'm like, yes, give me more Smallville. <laughs> I, I hear you. And, you know, as of this recording there, I, I'm sure you've heard the rumblings that, you know, Tom Welling and Michael Rosenbaum are, are developing a pitch for a, a potential Smallville animated series. So we, we may yet get a, another iteration of the show. They're also doing a podcast where they're doing a rewatch. I'll be. I, have you been following that? It's it's honestly been kind of delightful. <laughs> so it's Talkville. Uh, we have yeah. no affiliation, but we'll plug them. Yep. <laughs> it's it's. It blows my mind because, I, you know, as someone who did follow Smallville every week for a decade, at the beginning of the show's run, you would hear from Tom Welling. He did pre-did press. He did a commentary on a DVD track for like season two. And then silence from the man for years. Towards mm-hmm. the end of the show's run, when they started having a Comic-Con presence, you know, he, was, he would be on panels and do some interviews. And I was like, okay, like this guy's still, still there. <laughs> but he... Again, for the majority of the show's run, like you just didn't hear much from him. And what's become clear now from his appearances on Rosenbaum's Inside of You podcast and from Talkville and from the conventions that he's doing, you know, he was the show was so all consuming and it took up all of his time. And, you know, that was really all he had the bandwidth for. And I get it. Like, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. But a part of it is just like I never knew exactly what he felt or thought about the show. And I never like if you would have told me that not only is he going to do conventions, but that he's going to do a weekly rewatch podcast, I would have said, you are out of your mind. I would have said, I'll read Smallville season 11 before I ever see that. (laughs) (laughs) 
but it's been a lot. I mean, it's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's really to hear both of them, but especially Welling. Like it's, it's it blows my mind. I can't wait until like until they get into like further like the big episodes and Smallville because I think they've only done what three episodes so far. By like, the time this episode comes out, there'll be a decent bit of the way through season one. But uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I, I know they they've said that they're planning to do the entire series. I wish them well. I uh, we'll see. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. That, that's a that's a that's a, a daunting endeavor. But listen, speaking of Smallville rewatch podcast, and I just mentioned this a moment ago, but always hold on to Smallville. Do you follow that one at all? Uh, no, I haven't heard of that one before. Well, now you have, my friend. This sounds like a scripted commercial. It's not, but always hold on to Smallville, but hosted by Zach Moore. And by the time when this episode airs, his season eight coverage will be getting underway. It might have just started. It might be about to start. Uh, but when you hear this episode, head on over to Always Hold On to Smallville. It's a fantastic show. I mean, again, he's starting season eight, so he's very yeah, deep he, into the series. Going episode by episode, Zach and a, and a tremendous roster of guests, myself included. And that's that's a, a, by way of a plug here. Uh, I am going to be a guest, or maybe I already was a guest, on the season eight premiere episode, Odyssey. Uh, so I do hope people check that out. It's uh, as much as we do, we reference Smallville a lot here and occasionally we do do a spotlight episode like this. Uh, but if you're really looking for coverage of every episode of Smallville, you know, that's the place to go. So check that out. And yeah, I think for you in particular, Mike, I think you would enjoy it. Oh yeah. I definitely need stuff to listen to during the downtime of traveling to work and everything. And I listened to, um, oh, there was a Smallville, Smallville podcast. I listened to the Starkville Times I think back in the day, like I forget, I think it was done through Krypton site. Okay. I forget uh, who hosted it, but they, they did like episode recaps and like previews and stuff like that. Like, and then that those people also did a heroes podcast. That I listened to like, I, I was big into like superhero podcasts when I was living in the city and everything. So, but yeah, I, I, I I'm going to make a note right now to look into that podcast. <laughs> So I know you talked about your experience, you know, watching Smallville and, you know, catching up and, and everything, but I'm just curious for the show specifically, and we'll get into the comic, but for the show, what sort of space does it occupy in your fandom? Because I always talk about it on the show as one of the pillars, one of the tent poles of, of my Superman fandom is like Death of Superman and Smallville. Like those are mm-hmm. probably the two biggest ones. Where does mm-hmm. it fall for you? What kind of space does it occupy in your fandom? Um, I, by and large, I'm more of a Marvel guy just because DC has been frustrating to say the least. Um, I know you, this is a much different topic that we're not going to glom into, but you and I have much different, uh, opinions about man of steel. Um, to me, Tom Welling is the best iteration of Superman we've had since Chris Reeve. Um, just, you know, my, my personal opinion, and I know he was never technically Superman, but he was Superman. Like, he was Kal-El of Krypton. Like, that's, by and large, the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, I and Michael Rosenbaum is definitive. All, all deference to Gene Hackman, all deference to, um, oh, now I'm blanking on who played him in Supergirl. Uh, who also John Cryer. John Cryer, John Cryer, who also did a phenomenal job, a, a definitely a different take, and of course, um, oh man, I am blanking at the animated uh, Clancy Brown, 
Clancy Brown, yes. All fantastic iterations of Lex Luthor, but any like sometimes when uh when our friend Mike and Mike Sangrower and I hang out, we'll just randomly like have if we have our backs to one another, we'll just turn and say, Clark. And we immediately know that something is about to happen. And it's going to be a very long conversation. <laughs> like the, the Clark and Lex scenes in Lex's like office. Definitive, absolutely definitive of what those two characters are and what they embody. And I like, cause I don't think we got that in the movies with Chris Reeve. I don't think we got that in Batman v Superman. Like like we don't we haven't gotten that definitive version. It's the animated show and Smallville. And like occasionally you'll get some animated movies and stuff. But like if you want Lex and Clark, you go to Smallville and you don't go anywhere else. Yeah, look, I, I can't dispute that. As much as I've enjoyed other takes, uh, they're, the dynamic that those two have on that show is is the ideal for me, for sure. So, you all right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, I just cool. had a cough. Oh, all right, I was just... <laughs> just yeah, no, no, cough. I, did I, enough- I, got, I got a cough button, so I'm good. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> and not to call you out on it, but I just wanted to check, because I did a podcast, I did a book club podcast uh, a year or so ago, uh, and a buddy of mine, he was he was enjoying a cocktail during it, and he ch- started choking on it. It's in the episode if wants to go listen, but Jeez. he was fine. But it was a very dramatic moment, so I was just just checking. Anyway, so as far as this the season eleven comic goes, now let's segue more into that. It, it sounds like upon is this something that you've gone back to since the initial oh. reading? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, it, I've reread this art because I have it on my phone. It's so easily accessible. Like some, like probably every two three years or so i'll just go back and i'll reread it just like if i'm frustrated with dc i'm like i know they know how to do this like i've seen it i've read it i know they know how to do stuff like this like when i get irritated with certain directions they're going in (laughs) i just i i I roll back to season 11 just because it's a lot easier to consume for me than like going back and watching the show because the show like some episodes are wonderful. Some episodes are like, "Ooh, this this was in the middle of the season, wasn't it, boys?" Like, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Mike. They did 22 <laughs> episodes a season for 10 seasons, and they were all home runs. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, every one of them a grand slam. It was. I got to say, uh, when Welling and Rosenbaum covered Hothead on Talkville, the third episode, and you know, at the end of the episode, they rate it. And, you know, <laughs> Welling gave it like like a two out of three or two and a half out of three initially. And Rosenbaum was like, wait a minute. <laughs> He's like, you're saying <laughs> this is just, if a three is the best episode of the entire show, you're saying this is like just a tiny bit less than that. And I think by the time they were done with that conversation, Welling had knocked it down to like a one. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, a three star rating is admittedly a bit skewed. <laughs> like at least go five stars. That, that way you have some wiggle yeah you have some wiggle well rosenbaum system there's the positive and negative side as well so it's like up to positive three or down to negative three and then a heater is just sort of like you know right down the middle anyway yeah okay i love that you love season 11 and for anyone out there who's a fan of season 11 
right on. I wish that I could join you in the sun on that. Alas, I cannot. Now, everything I'm about to say is in no way meant to uh, to poo-poo the comic or to change your mind about it. No, I just want to explain where I'm coming from on it because, like I said, the reasons that I initially had for not reading it, I, I kind of knocked those down. And I went into this reading project over the past few days. I, I kind of was a little bit delinquent in my homework. And the past few days, I've just immersed myself in Smallville Season 11. And I went in with an open mind and I was like, maybe I'm going to love this. Maybe this is like the second coming of Smallville. You know what? I wonder too, maybe that was another reason why I never read it. I feel like part of me felt there's still a little bit of Smallville out there that I can get to at some point. That might've been a little bit of it too. Mm -hmm. So I went into it and I'll be honest, man, I, I really, I really did not enjoy it for the most part. There were things I liked. There were some very clever callbacks and, uh, and, and reveals, you know, uh, you know, relating to things from the series that, that I appreciated, but the, I think that these were the three issues that I had with it. <laughs> Bear with <Okay>. me. <laughs> Number one, and, and I think this was an instance of Superman 78 spoiling me because like I said, reading that, I just so felt like that nailed the voices of the characters. Reading this, and this was actually a question from uh, Brian, one of our patrons, and he asked, you know, did I hear the, the, the actors, you know, in, in my head delivering the lines? And yes and no. I mean, I think Lois and Chloe and Lex to an extent, I did. I did hear the actors. So I think that, Brian Q. Miller, you know, did a, you know, nailed those voices, but I just could not, for the most part, I could not hear Tom Welling delivering a lot of those lines. I mean, even in the first chapter when he saves the Russian space station and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't learned your language yet. And they were just like throughout and, you know, teasing Lois about her grammar and like, I just, I, I, and you know, if you felt otherwise, like that's great. I wish I did. And I'm not saying, oh, he felt totally divorced from the character on the show. And you could also make the argument that, you know, the, the character evolved, right, from where we left him in the series. So if he does sound a little different, that's the reason why I get all of that. But I just had a hard time imagining Tom Welling delivering a lot of those lines. So it kind of failed that test for me. So that was the first thing. But did you feel differently as far as the, the voice? Well, I think there's a bit of a time jump. There's like six months in between the series finale and where season 11 picks up right? yeah, six months from, from Clark pushing apocalypse away from earth. So not six months yeah. from that seven year flash forward at the end of the finale, right, but right, six right, months okay. from the main action in the finale for, yeah, totally. And even his costume has changed in that time, right? They make note of yeah. that. He no longer has the underwear on the outside. It's very, very in line with the new 52 costume. It's not identical, but it's, it's sort mm -hmm. of have that has that same flavor to it, you know, minus the underwear. Yeah. Um, I heard, I think when he's talking to Lex, that's when I hear it the most. When he's off doing Superman things, I tend to hear Tim Daly, but that's only because I tend to hear Tim Daly in most Superman stuff I read. So it kind of, it kind of is like, again, we're spoiled by the fact that we've had a really good voice actor doing Superman for a long amount of time. But, um, like, what? Because the inter the interactions that he has with Lex are pretty much where I hear Tom Welling a lot, and um, like if he has a big speech, I'll hear Tom Welling, like uh, all the stuff with New Krypton and everything like that. I, I hear Tom Welling in those moments, but sometimes, like I, I I do agree. Sometimes, especially the interactions with Lois, they feel a bit forced and kitschy and like a little too cutesy for their own good because they were not they were not really like that it almost felt like lois and clark 
like the the Dean Kane show. It almost felt like that a little bit. Like that was kind of the the repartee because um, I always felt that Lois and Chloe had that rapport, but Lois and Clark didn't, at least in Smallville continuity. But then again, they've been living together for six months too, so. It's it's true, and I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying, oh, this didn't sound like Superman to me. I think it it captured the spirit and the voice of the character generally. But I, I think in terms of that version of the character from the show, I wasn't really feeling it. All right, number two, and this is where I, I know I'm diverging from you, and probably probably from anyone who likes the comic. Like I understand if the appeal of the comic or part of the appeal is that you get to see so much stuff that you couldn't or didn't get to see in the show they have green lanterns in this they have clark in the future they have clark in outer space there's so much stuff that you never would have seen on the show whether because of restrictions from dc warner brothers or just budget technology right for me though and i don't mean to i really don't mean to keep harping on superman 78 but one of the things (laughs) that i loved about superman 78 we talked about this and i sort of had this moment of realization while we were talking about it was that I think it worked so well for me because the scope of the story there dealing with Brainiac and Candor, it could have for the, I I think generally speaking, it could have existed in the seventies or eighties under the direction of Richard Donner. It wasn't so, so epic in scope or anything that there's no way they could have ever filmed this back then. It really felt like, you know what? This could have been a, this could have been a Richard Donner movie at the time. And it's just personal preference, I guess. Like that's the kind of if I'm gonna if I'm gonna get on board with a comic book continuation or adaptation, that's that's kind of what I want. I want something to feel like it could have been part of the show. But I understand and look from the from Brian Q. Miller and the artists, from the fans, I understand if the appeal is no, we can go beyond the show. But for me, it's just like I can't I can't picture this on screen. And and I think that was another roadblock for me. Okay. Um, I have a question. When you read it, did you do like the comicsology where you go like panel to panel or were you reading the full page? I was. Do- oh, yeah. I don't do I don't do the guided view thing. Oh, OK. Yeah. See, see, me. that's how I read it. Like, because I was on the comicsology app like every Wednesday. I'm like, it's small. I'm ready to download. Yeah, small. I'm ready to download. Yeah. And I watch it like that because I full screen it on my tablet. And it kind of felt like I was watching like a show with closed captions. Okay. So like it's going scene to scene to scene to scene. Like it, it helps me envision the action and what's happening a little bit. Like it doesn't just it, it it's not like I'm reading a comic. It's like I'm watching like uh, like a stop motion version of the show almost. So I don't know if that if that would change your experience on it or like but that that's how I consumed it the first time and that's how i always consume it now like because i i love that it shows you where to go it's it's like it's like a direct it's like a director drawing focus to certain aspects of the scene very interesting okay i i i would be open if i ever do a reread of this i doubt i will but if i ever do (laughs) i would try that it's it's funny i i've always been so opposed to guided view I think because it was it was a lot for me to even start reading digitally in the first place. And I think what made me more okay with like I got the biggest iPad I could 
and I don't use the guided view. And so my feeling was like, I'm mimicking the, the, you know, the physical experience as much as possible. So I've always stayed away from guided view, but your point is well taken. And I don't know, maybe that would, I could definitely see that more closely replicating the experience of like watching, you know, a scene on screen or, you know, a piece of a scene, you know, you're seeing like Clark's coverage and then you're cutting to Lex's. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. There might be something to that. Yeah, because I think that was also like around the time that the guided view kind of started on comicsology too. Like I think they're one of the first series to really maximize it because like it kind of brings you into the drama because you can't see what's happening at the end of the page. Like you can't see like, oh no, like what's that? Well, like there's the to be continued. Oh, so I guess we're at the end of the issue. Like you don't know when the end of the issue is happening. And the last frame is always to be continued. So it's always, it's kind of like, like, oh man, I can't, can't wait to see what happens next time. Like, like why, why reprint comics? Obviously it's just, you know, that, but I read digital. I kind of like the guided view because I feel like that's how they're intending us to like visually take it all in. I hear you. I hear you. All right. Now, number three. And I also, I, I want to be, I take no joy in this. I really, no, it's, my, it's list, absolutely, my list of be, things I didn't like. I hate, the, I hate this. <laughs> because I, because I know you, you're going to have a list of things you didn't like. And then you're going to have a list of things you did like. There are, there are some things. Yeah. I, liked. <laughs> there are, I, I there hope, are I things. hope it's more than three things, but I'm not sure if it will be. <laughs> yeah, let me see. Well, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, it's it's funny. I was thinking about this because I, you know, I, I never want to be a, a downer, right, with this stuff. But it's it's funny, and I, I'm always, and I, I know you said you, you know, only caught a little bit of of the show. I'm always trying to find the, the bright side or, or or look for the positive aspects. I find though that where I have the hardest time sometimes is when it comes to Smallville because I do I, I care so much about it. Mm-hmm. That it, I think I, I am I am more critical because like and not that I don't care about the other stuff but I just I feel like I have so much more than <laughs> ten years at a very formative I, age invested. It, it's a lot of investment and and it's kind of like someone taking the toys that you had and say no this is how I'm playing with your toys <laughs> like is isn't don't you like the way I'm playing with your toys <laughs> like you know that my, my toys don't don't do the things you're you're doing with them like. Why, why is that guy there? What what's going on? Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I will. I just want to, uh, you know, uh, go back to my number number one for a second here on my list because we mentioned the small the potential Smallville animated series, and I, you know, it'll be interesting if and when that happens to see how Clark is portrayed there because it it seems like the idea is it would follow him into his career as Superman. So, you know, I don't know. It might be the case where. And obviously we would be hearing Tom Welling's voice, but between the vocal performance and the dialogue, you know, it, it might be something where I'm like, okay, no, this feels like the show to me, or I don't know, maybe it might line up more with, with the comics and that might change my view on the comic. I don't know. Like I, after, yeah. you know, like after hearing I, Tom Welling as Superman in an animated series, I might feel differently. Cause I'm wondering like if they, if they did an animated version of some of these arcs, which is entirely feasible, like, like they they have kind of a roadmap for something that they could do if they wanted to go and do like an animated version, you know, with some casting alterations that would have to be made. Mm-hmm. But, 
you know. Or maybe Chloe's Chloe's probably just in the Phantom Zone. You know, she'll be in the Phantom Zone. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, but like, um, I I think I think a lot of these arcs could absolutely work as an animated series. Yeah, like especially bringing back Bart Allen. Like, I, I love I love the Bart Allen arc in season eleven because Bart was always one of my favorite. Like, because I was when I watched Smallville, whenever they'd bring in other stuff too like justice is one of my favorite episodes i know it's i don't is it is it high on your list or it, it, it's high on my list okay all right justice is one of my favorite episodes because i feel like a i feel like it's the only live action version of cyborg we've gotten correctly for the most part okay. um <laughs> for the most part uh i i, I love that so much like it's it's just showing that, oh, we could do a lot more with this if we had the budget, if we had the say-so by DC. Like, I think that's kind of why like, I like season 11 so much, because it feels like a, an expansion of what justice should have been and where the series could have gone from there, but just, you know, didn't, didn't venture into that area because that's paying a lot more cast members, you know, that. That's essentially getting into what you have with the Arrowverse now, where it's almost too crowded for TV. Yes. Although yeah. a bit less crowded these days on the <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Arrowverse. Uh, <laughs> let's take a quick commercial break, and then I'll give my third, the third reason why I didn't like season 11. Uh, we'll be right back. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Since 1983, this nine-time Eisner Award nominee uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material available. They pride themselves on their significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available to anyone, anywhere, via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Film lovers and filmmakers, should check out this family of film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In The Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. I was fortunate enough to have my work shown at these festivals, and I found them to be very enjoyable and well-run events. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news and updates about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and currently under new ownership, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Flat Squirrel Productions is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP, that's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions, to save 10% on your order, and it helps support the show. Thank you. Oh Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. 
visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit AllYeahComics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Aw, yeah. And we're back. Okay, so the, the final roadblock that I had to enjoying season 11 was, and this is a little complicated, and this might sound counterintuitive because I know a lot of fans, myself too at times, had frustration with Clark on the show, sort of taking that one step forward, two steps back, right? And there were plenty of times, especially during the the, the middle seasons, the college dropout years, where I kind of felt like both Clark and the show were kind of treading water there. We weren't like really moving forward. So this might sound kind of weird, but what I always did appreciate about the show was the restraint. It's like we, we weren't, we weren't at the end of the journey, right? This was all about getting there and it was, we knew what was coming and it was all about, okay, how is, is he going to get there? And we were always building towards something and Clark was always struggling and yes, it was frustrating at times when it felt like we were sort of dealing with the same material, <laughs> you know, over and over. But when you look at the series as a whole, like this central theme or struggle, right, to, to reconcile who he is with where he's going, it sustained the series for 10 years. And, and, it's, I, I, and I think it, it made the character so relatable. It's so much of what I love about the show. It's like what he had to overcome and work through. And, you know, when he gets to that, that big moment in the series finale, right, where he's in the fortress with Jor-El and Jonathan Hanson, the costume, that's like, oh, all the pieces of his life have come together. He's figured it out. What I found missing in season 11 was really, for the most part, any kind of internal tension. There were a few things, right, where, for example, in the first arc, Lex, and we'll go through all the arcs and everything, I'd, you know, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get deeper into all of that, but you know, Lex paints uh, Superman with this radioactive isotope that allows him to follow, to, to track, you know, Superman's movement. So basically he has to give up being Clark for a period of time. Otherwise that would blow up his secret identity. So, you know, that puts a strain on Lois and Clark and they have to have these fortress of solitude rendezvous and things like that. So, you know, that's something that he's got to deal with. I think one of the, you know, the, the best examples of some kind of internal tension in this is when he makes the decision to reveal to the world that he is an alien Right. As much as now they know Superman exists, they know there's this being who can push planets, but they don't know that he's an alien and he decides to take that step forward. Like that was great. But I found like those moments were few and far between. And most of the tension in these comics, it was most of the tension was external. It was dealing with, you know, Hank Henshaw or dealing with Parallax or dealing with the monitors. And, you know, and you might feel differently. And I, I don't know, but I think that was kind of the problem that I had. I didn't feel like Clark internally as a person as a character like really had far to go in this it's like he kind of came in fully formed as superman and like mostly stayed that way and so i think that was sort of the last thing where i just wasn't like well, i wasn't super invested no pun intended the way that i was with the show did you feel differently on that front i i can see what you mean but like a lot of times like at least superman stories as a whole just for me like it's hard to feel a lot of tension regardless because, you know, there's not a lot that can hurt the guy. So, like, I, what I did like about it is that, like, uh, like you said with the show, that there was some restraint being had and everything with what they could do. But 
I feel like to to kind of use the Superman metaphor, uh, they're able to take the kid gloves off, the kid gloves off, and they are able to go full bore into everything that they probably wanted to do on the show. Like, like we were talking about justice. If you're telling me that their original pie in the sky version of justice didn't have at least a Batman or a Wonder Woman, I'm going to call you a liar. Like, like I love that we were able to do that. And if at least it feels organic, it feels organic. Like it's not just like, it's like, like, Hey kids, here's the guest star Batman and his super snarky comment. Nightwing. Like, like it feels organic to how the show would have introduced them. And I like that. They, they even threw in some backstory. Like Thomas Wayne was almost a part of um, Veritas Veritas. Like, that I remember reading that and texting uh, Mike Sergio immediately. I'll be like, "You need to read Smallville right now." Like I probably added a few expletives in there when I was texting him, but that blew my hair back. Like I wish they could have done some form of that on the show, even if like they had like as a guest star, like uh, Michael Keaton as Thomas Wayne, almost joining. Lionel Luther and Veritas. Like, that's it. That's it. That's all you would need to do. Like, just so, like, I'm sure they would have loved to do stuff like that on the show. And I think that's kind of why I like it because, because not only can they pull in characters that they could have done before, they can finish up arcs that they kind of set forth in the season, in the series finale, but they had no responsibilities to any kind of comic canon so like they didn't have to follow the new 52 which was frustrating for a lot of people at the time they didn't have to follow the old the, like the pre-new 52 superman stuff they were able to take whatever they want from wherever they want like they threw in aya as a green lantern from the green lantern animated series that also blew my hair back like i'm like oh so Aya's a thing in this world that's amazing like we haven't like because the green lantern show had recently been canceled i believe and i like i was very invested in that show and i didn't think we'd ever see that character again and oh here she pops up and she has a pretty pivotal role at the end of the series like it's just little easter eggs like that that help to pepper in kind of how super how superman's world expanded once he became superman and was really able to be a global help as opposed to I travel between these two cities. <laughs> right. No, again, I, I get it. I, I do understand. I, I guess maybe it was just me wanting something different out of it, but I, I, I can totally see the appeal of what they did. I mean, I like everything you're saying, it's not like, I'm like, I don't know what he's talking about. It's like, I get it. It just, it, it, it didn't necessarily work for me, but I, I, I do appreciate, you know, what you're saying. Let me, uh, list out the arcs uh, that make up season 11. Now, there were the the uh, the main arcs, and then there were also these side or parallel stories, so shorter little arcs. Uh, and I know there's one that I'll be honest, I, I I did skip the Titans arc, but I know you love it. And I'm gonna I'm just gonna I know I'm just gonna give you the floor on that one. You can say whatever you want, and maybe I'll read it after. But I was getting a little pressed for time. You know what? If you want to do the guided viewing, do it on Titans. Oh, there we go. All right. So we have the making up season 11. 
We have, uh, so these will be the main stories unless otherwise noted. So we have Guardian with Lexus Space Station and Hank Henshaw. We have Detective introducing Batman and Barbara Gordon Nightwing. Uh, we have Haunted, that's the Bart Allen story that, that you mentioned. I, I did like that one as well. Uh, Effigy was a parallel story with Martian Manhunter and Batman. I skipped. Uh, oh, that, I skipped. oh, that introduced McGann Morris. Okay, that's okay. That, that, that was, it was really cool. I, I like that one a lot because, again, I'm, I'm a big Teen Titans guy too. So anytime you can, like, because Marth- Martian Manhunter already existed on the show and everything, and I'm like, I was waiting. I'm like, oh, are we going to bring McGann on the show? Like, how's that going to happen? And it never happened. But for that, for them to kind of loop that in with uh, the whole Batman storyline, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I, I can, I, I get that. Uh, then we have Argo. Uh, sending us to the future with the Legion of Superheroes and Supergirl. That interesting stuff in there. That was that was a highlight for me. We'll talk about. I, yeah, uh, Valkyrie was one of the side stories with Lois and Lana. Oh, we'll spend some time there. Mm-hmm. Uh, then back to the main story for Olympus, introducing Wonder Woman, and then Hollow, uh, another parallel story uh, dealing with Tess after she's been removed from Lex's consciousness and uh, recreated in, in digital form. Uh, yeah, a lot to say about Tess uh, in this. Okay, so at that point, the season 11 banner was sort of retired, and then they moved into a, a miniseries format, but still was, you know, considered uh, season 11. So uh, Titans, which again, I, I know is a favorite of yours. I'll defer to you on that one. I, I did skip. That was a side story. Uh, I also skipped the, the other side story, uh, Harbinger, uh, but I did. Okay. I did. That, I did. That one's that one's OK. OK, it's it's not it's not my favorite, but I I, I do love John Constant. Like now, anytime I see anything Constantine, it's it's the guy from the from all the CW shows now. That, yeah. That's oh, yeah. all I can see. That's all I can see. He's great. Yeah. Matt Ryan. Yeah, he was. Really yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, and that was with uh, Zatanna, Zatara, and, and, and Constantine, like you said. Uh, and then again, the remaining main arcs, which of course I did read. Uh, Alien, where Clark's, Clark and Lex go to Russia. That was good stuff in there. Lantern, bringing in the, the Green Lantern mm-hmm. Corps. Chaos, where Lois and Clark are lost in the multiverse. And Continuity, their take on Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. So those were those were the, the main and side arcs. So again, with the exception of a few of the parallel stories, I did, uh, I, I did read... I did read everything. I, I don't want to forget, because we were talking about this off mic, and since I just mentioned Crisis, when the Arrowverse did their Crisis on Infinite Earths event, Mark Guggenheim, the, the mastermind of that television event and the producer on, on the Arrowverse shows, answered a fan on Twitter and said that the Smallville season 11 comics were considered canon, even though they wouldn't necessarily be directly referenced when Tom Welling and Erica Durant made their appearance uh, during crisis, but that it was part, they were considering that canon. D- does, does that track with what we saw in that scene with the Clark Kent of Smallville for you? I think it depends on how far after, cause I'm assuming this it's well after the events of series of season 11. Yes. That, that we would go into. And I could, there is a world in which I could see, cause like, I, I mean, for those who haven't read season 11, we're going to spoil it. Um, it ends up with uh, Chloe and Oliver having a child, naming him Jonathan, which I'll be honest, when I read it the first time, made me sob like a little infant um, because that was beautiful. Uh, and that, that I pictured, like I, I saw the film in my head when I saw that happen because I could see every character's reaction. Like that, that was wonderful. But um, I think there's a world in which 
the the Clark of the season eleven could ultimately seem to settle down with Lois on the farm, you know, away from Metropolis, away from having powers, especially if they have kids. Um, I, I think I think there's a world in which that happens because in in season eleven, kid, there's plenty of heroes to pick up the slack. Like there, there's plenty of other people to kind of join in the crusade. Like and Superboy exists too. Who knows? Like Connor may have taken up the mantle at that point. There's nothing saying that he wouldn't have, because like uh, the Titans are. I know you haven't read it, but it, it's. It's really it's got a nice speech uh, from Clark to Connor, and a nice moment with Jay Garrick too. Like, like it's really like you could have made a whole spinoff show, a whole spinoff comic, just of that group of Teen Titans, and because like uh, they eventually bring in Raven, uh, McGann's on there, Superboy. They had um, the Wonder Twins, which was wonderful, and Beast Boy. And uh, they also brought in Ravager, but they never did anything with it. So, like, there's a whole, like, if we want to talk about missed opportunities, there's a whole big thing that they they could have gone off there. And I I don't know if that was, like, if they were trying to do a pilot for it or whatnot, but they could have done a whole new Smallville Titans spinoff series. But uh, I think, you know, like, kind of lost my thread, but, like, it's, uh, I, I, just really enjoyed it good yeah no i'm glad i mean i did (laughs) did a whole episode with mike on how the arrowverse failed the clark kent of smallville with crisis (laughs) i won't relitigate all of that i i but i mean i I, part of me was hoping that after reading season 11 i would feel differently but i I didn't i still stand by that episode and that title for that episode (laughs) but i guess what i was referring more to was the fact that at the end of season 11 clark lives through a crisis yet when the Arrowverse characters show up on his earth during crisis and they're telling him about this threat. And then at the end of the scene, he's telling Lois like, Oh, there's this cry. And I forget if he uses the word crisis, but he, you know, he talks about the multiverse ending and everything. And she's like, Oh, Smallville, you made a funny. It's like, Hey, this isn't a joke. You guys live through this. You should be taking this more seriously. <laughs> maybe I'm, maybe I'm, you know, nitpicking a little yeah, bit, but no. I was just like, if, if, if this is Canon, I don't know that that quite lines up. Yeah. I mean, that that aspect of it probably doesn't line up, but like the arrow, the the, the <laughs> arrow crisis, like they they literally just brought people on for five minutes, like yeah, like I thought they were gonna do more with like uh, uh, Kevin Conroy as Batman. They 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 had him on for a scene that was basically it, and it was a wonderful scene, and of course he played Batman perfectly, but you know you can only get. So much, and especially if it's a depowered Clark, like I did not to get off on that kind of tangent. I did love his interaction with John Cryer because, again, it's that Tom Welling has a really good repartee with Lex Luthers. He just does. Like, like he's like, boy, boy, have I not missed these conversations? Like, I guffawed loudly when he said that i was just like yes because you've had to deal with such a prick of a lex luther like and and then i remember season 11 where lex like the uh the one we'll get to the um where they're in russia 
where it's Clark and Lex. Really, really good. Reminded me of um, uh, one of the bits they did in All Star Superman, the animated movie where it's they're in prison, where, where, yeah. where they're in the where they're in the prison, and like that was just fantastic. And I will say the because like I the guided viewing, the last panel of Lex swimming down in the water to save Clark, whose shirt is ripped open. First of all. Brought me right back to season one, episode one. Yes. Brought me right back to the pilot immediately. I'm like, oh, they're doing the reverse. Like, because this, this is Smallville season 11. They can do anything they want. Lex can find out. Why not? Uh, you can do anything you want with that. Like, there's no, there's nothing saying that Lex couldn't have found out everything right then and there. Like, and, and that's where they leave the cliffhanger. That was extremely well done. Like that had me salivating for the next week's issue. Like, so I I did love that moment, and I was just like you. I was brought right back to that scene from the bridge from the pilot, and it's like, oh, it's getting flipped, and he's going into the water to save Clark, and and yeah, like you said, the shirt's ripped open. Great moment. Now, when you say like, oh, there's nothing stopping Lex from knowing. Yeah, you're right. I agree. That brings me. I know I said I only had three things, but number four. Listen. My the my biggest misgiving with the Smallville series finale was Lex's total mind wipe. The fact that Tom Welling didn't wear the costume and it was CGI, it's like, yeah, that was frustrating. It was a letdown after 10 years, but it's like the character became Superman. Jonathan handed him the red and blue. It's like, all right, I can we got the shirt rip at the end. It's like fine. I can I can live with that. But undoing like Lex's entire journey is unforgivable. I can never get past that. And it I don't know. Look, I don't know from Brian Q. Miller's perspective, if there were restrictions, if he had to follow what was said at, at the end of the show, if he liked what was done at the end of the show, if maybe he didn't like it, but he worked on the show and he wanted to be deferential to the, to the show. I don't, I have no idea, but it blew my mind, not in a good way that he kept the mind wipe <laughs> throughout all of season 11. It like, even if even if it were temporarily undone and then, and then and then they you know they reinstated it or something like that oh man it was like the thing i hated most about the finale and it was it, we had the we had the uh you know the the memory wiped alex for the duration of season 11 it it is ever present um he's always like, talking he's oh i'm sorry he's always talking about like oh yeah this is what i think i used to be like oh i've been reading reports about what i used to be like well this is what i think i used to be it's like oh my god sorry <laughs> no no it's fine no i, I can see the thing because that rings true with smallville to me because how many times have those characters have their mind wiped like it's worse than the men in black franchise like <laughs> There's a neuralizer every fourth or fifth episode on some character that finds out something about Clark. Like, at the very least, like, that, that's why I was kind of in for it because, like, like, and maybe they shouldn't reference it all the time, but also it's not like it's a show. Like, if someone's picking up their first issue, you know, maybe they don't know that Lex has had his mind wiped. So they mention it once an issue just to keep the read and plus i thought it gave lex a pretty good arc because it gave him a a chance to kind of be introspective about what he's heard he was like because lex started off the series of of smallville proper as 
a pretty okay guy for the most part, like a bit of a womanizer, obviously, but you know, he's Lex, but, and, and he turns and you can almost understand his turn throughout the series because his best friend is literally lying to him every second of every day, which understandably that would make someone upset, but I like that it gave him the arc. And I love that it brought in Tess, like, because I, I think that Tess being an integral part of season 11, because she was so much of a, of a driving force in the later seasons of Smallville, I think her being the reason that Lex doesn't get past the mind wave, her being the reason that Lex, like, she's still protecting Clark. And I really like that because Clark's always kind of had, like, a lot of people looking out for him. Like as soon as someone finds out his secret, they hold it like tightly to their tightly to their chest. And Tess, e- even though she was a digital form, she was the one keeping Lex. Because if Tess wasn't there, Lex finds one telepath, boom, mind wipe over. And then it's a completely different character. But I like that Lex was kind of able to channel his mind wipe as a refocus energy to rebuild back his social image because like it it makes i can see the rosenbaum character being like oh this gives me a clean slate like i can become that image of the president that that a mind reader saw in one of the early seasons like i can do this as long as everyone including myself believes that my memory has been completely erased and i can't somehow read a whole bunch of what i've done but but like i love that it brings tess into like it it brings tess closer to um oh uh emile hamilton too like they have a strong relationship too and then she ultimately becomes red tornado which blew my mind like that's a great way to introduce a digital construct being part of their justice league and it's the fact that it's already a giant T for Red Tornado, but it's also for Tess. <laughs> like that's a, that's a very nice happenstance for them. Like, and it's someone that we already know, and we don't have to do a big arc about how we find like Doctor Ivo building a, a an AI called Red Tornado or something like that. We don't have to go into any of that. We just say, hey we transfer this digital consciousness into a body. We already did in the first arc with Hank Henshaw. Like we've already got cyborg Superman. Let's do the reverse and do red tornado and make it our beloved Tess, Who's been helping Clark this entire time. And I thought it was a really good arc for, for Lex to be focused on that because it also tears his focus away from Clark for a little bit, because if he didn't have his mind wiped, he'd be solely focused on Clark. And we that I don't think that I don't think you can do as many good stories as you can. Like I don't think you bring in a Lantern Corps if if Lex knows everything. I don't think you bring in a Batman or a Wonder Woman if Lex knows everything because Superman needs to be allowed to do Superman things. And if Lex knows, Superman is only going to be protected, like focused on what's Lex doing. Like it, it's going to be like the Poochie syndrome, like. Why isn't everyone talking about Lex? Where's Lex? What is Lex doing with Chloe? What is Lex doing with Lois? Like, Clark can focus elsewhere. 
And I, I like that, that he's able to have more of a global and multiversal focus. Like, and he can tackle other threats because of the mind. Wave. Like, I think it was, a, I, I understand the frustration, but I think it was a necessary way to like, unless you're going to send Lex, Lex to prison, it's the only other real way to like take Lex out of the equation so that you can have other stories. All right. So first of all, I will say, I think you made a great case for it. I, I do appreciate all of that. I, I'm never going to totally be on, well, not even totally. I'm never going to be on board with the mind wipe. And I think, and I, I've talked about this before, so I, I won't belabor the point, but I just, I always hold up that scene between Clark and Lex in the series finale where Lex does know. And I look at that and I'm like, that, that could be the dynamic. That's the dynamic that I've always wanted to see play out for an extended period of time. And so I think something like that really could work. And I would have liked to have seen that explored, but you know, you're, I, I again, I think you did make a good case for it. I think I would feel differently and better about it if there was a resolution to it. It's like if he, again, if he eventually did uncover his memories or, or I mean, I don't know, but it's just like he's just mind wiped the whole, you know, the whole time. I, I guess maybe I would have wanted something else there. All that being said, I, I'm with you. I love the tests of it all. That was one of the things. See, there is some stuff I liked. Mm-hmm. I love well, that. One more thing before, yeah, yeah, yeah. before we get on tests. Um, I think it helps the Lex Clark thing though in that Clark knows like he not only does he know he feels guilt and he feels remorse for what happened to Lex because he knows it was his fault so I think I think like reframing it into like they're having all these conversations because Superman and Lex talk a lot Clark and Lex talk a lot in this series and Clark knows everything but Lex doesn't know that Clark knows everything, which is I. I always will like that's where I get the Rosenbaum and the Tom Welling, because I can see those two having those conversations, and Clark just being a little bit more knowledgeable than Lex, but not being able to let on how much more knowledgeable he is. Right, like I really appreciate that aspect of. It. I guess, again, we'll see if and when this animated series happens, what they do. I, I've Rosenbaum has made comments in interviews. I don't think he was a fan of the mind wipe, so I'll be curious, you know, if they move forward, if that's undone. I'll be so curious to see what they do with that. I think I would have, you know what I would have liked? I think Lex not having his memory for a period of time in the comic, I think I would have been fine with it. And if they could have done something where, like, in order, you know, like Tess in his consciousness is blocking those memories, right? And so the Clark has to make a choice. Like, do I rescue Tess? But in rescuing Tess and removing her from his consciousness and recreating her in this digitized form, Lex will get his memories back. And it's like, I think Clark Clark would do that. He would save, he would save mm-hmm. Tess. I don't know. It would have created a, an internal dilemma for him. <laughs> and, and, it would, and in any event, I loved having Tess be in his mind. And one of the things that was cool about that was you know, those characters had one scene on the show together, mm-hmm. right? So to see a pairing like that, like that was really cool. And I was a big fan of Tess. I really liked the arc that she went on over the course of seasons eight, nine, and 10, where, you know, she comes in initially as this Lex stand-in, right? And the dynamic with Clark is, you know, there's more sexual tension, although not that Welling and Rosenbaum didn't have any. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd say there's less sexual tension, but that's just me. Ah. <laughs> Fair enough. But but it was still this initially like the same type of dynamic. And then to see to see her arc, to see her to see them become friends, to see and allies, 
uh, you know, all the way to her, her death in the finale where she's like, where, you know, Lex claims he's saving her. And she's like, no, like Clark already did that. Great. So to, you know, to have her continue on and for them to have those interactions. And, you know, there were some great bits like where she's controlling his body while he's sleeping and she's mm-hmm. sending out messages to Oliver and stuff like that. Like that stuff was great. I So the, the test piece of it all was was really cool. I think that's where I, I wish that the, the comic had utilized more of the canvas like well you got a lot of dc characters which i know you know you liked and people like i think i would have liked to have seen more of i don't know like where's pete you know <laughs> you know we got a little oh. bit of lana which was probably enough but i feel like it would have been cool because we largely were spending time with the season 10 cast right like it was tess mm-hmm. and, and ollie and chloe and lois and clark and of, but of course lex so that was you know that changed the the flavor of it a little bit but i think it would have been cool to see a little bit more of like intermingling of you know past cast members and things like that mm-hmm. yeah like well i think i think the whole deal with pete was i think Pete, the actor had already had his troubles at that point oh yeah so they, I prob- so they probably didn't want to even introduce that back into the zeitgeist like we obviously didn't know anything about chloe at that point but I will say even, you know, even in comic book form, it, you know, it was in my head as I was yeah. reading it. It's like, I was like, oh, it gets, Chloe gets a lot of play in the comic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, all right, here we go. This one again. Yeah. See, I wonder if you would have a different take on this if you, if you read it when it came out. Like if you, if you were fresh from Smallville, you didn't, you hadn't read Superman 76. <laughs> like, cause I mean, you know, Superman 76, from what I've heard, is phenomenal. <laughs> like, like from what I've heard, it's absolutely phenomenal. It captures Christopher, Chris Reeve and all that stuff. Like, you know, it, you might be, this might be a, a, a situation of going from filet mignon to ground chuck. <laughs> I, Which, I, you know, ground chuck is fine. Who doesn't love ground chuck? But filet mignon, like. It's a tough, you know what? It's a really weird thing because like I said, the Superman 78 made me more open to this kind of continuation, but it set the bar so high. So it, it you know, kind of, it kind of cut both ways there, which now, is interesting. But now when you were reading this, did you have Remy Zero playing in the background? I did at the maybe, beginning. Or, I did. I did. Yeah. Okay. And not maybe just some fi- maybe me, some five for fighting that no, I, I, I mostly stayed on Remy Zero. Oh, and then I, I queued up the, uh, the Smallville soundtrack. Okay. The actual score. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, which I'm glad they finally released like, at the end of the show, but at least better late than never. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I thought that the test stuff was really cool. And as far as Lex, you know, he's, he spends a lot of time with Otis, Otis Berg. Uh, mm-hmm. So a nice little callback to, to, you know, Superman, the movie. Uh, did you, did you enjoy the, the, the Lex Otis? I pieces? loved, I loved Otis. Like granted, I pictured, the actor who played <laughs> Otis in, in the Superman movies, but it was still really good. Like, cause Lex needed someone to bounce off of because in the show, he always had like your Lionel's or your Clark's or like Lex Salona's tower. He needed, he needs someone to bounce off of. And Otis was Otis always is a great foil for Luther. And I, I really, really like Otis, is probably my favorite character of the series as a whole. Like, it, like it's between him and um, Barbara Gordon, because Barbara Gordon, I think, adds a different dynamic for every character involved. Like, because uh, I'm I'm a big Nightwing, Dick Grayson, Mark. So, like, I, I love 
the fact that we even we even had an introduction of Dick Grayson yeah. into this world. Like that's where we left off. We left off Barbara Gordon being a blue lantern, which makes all the sense in the world. Just knowing that character and her arc and everything and her introducing Dick Grayson to Bruce Wayne. That's a really cool place to leave those characters off. Like that's that's just a lot of fun to me. Like I, I love I almost wish there was a season 12. I know there's never going to be, but I wish there was a continuation of this because I feel like once you get past a crisis and there's more heroes, that's kind of a different place to jump off. Right. Yeah, no, fair enough. Yeah, no, I, I enjoy the Otis stuff. And I mean, spoiler alert, although the comic has been out for almost for 10 years, but uh, you know, when, when Otis perishes at the end and, you know, you see that Lex is affected by it. I mean, Otis was the one person who was by his side and like, genuinely cared. Uh, so much so that his next assistant, Kitty, he's like trying to, you know, browbeat her into being like Otis. He's like, slump your shoulders. And you're like, he's like, you know, you didn't, you didn't mumble or, or stumble over your words. She's like, oh, thank you. He's like, that's not a compliment. It's like, <laughs> like you will refer to me as Mr. Luther, yeah. not Lex. Like, I, I, I love, like, because I can picture Rosenbaum having like a sniveling guy who's just around him all the time. And he looks at him with such disdain, but at the same time, needs him more than anything currently in his life like because that lex has always been looking for companionship on smallville like he was desperate for it like he desperately tried for it with his father and got rebuffed he tried for it with clark but never fully you know became brothers like there was like lex always knew there was some barrier there he never knew what it was he tried with lana he tried with lois he tried with Jonathan, like he tried with he Lex was just looking for a connection in all of Smallville. And I feel like this continues with that. Like even with Hank Henshaw, even though he has ulterior motives, he's trying to help Hank Henshaw. He fails miserably at, but he's trying to help him. Yeah. Like yeah, I I mean I do feel like with Otis, that's one instance where that did feel like something that could be on the show because you know, Rosenbaum's a really funny guy and the show, you know, didn't give him a ton of opportunities to, to display that. But there were instances, I mean, justice is a perfect example, you know, when he's got Bart locked up and Bart's like, I want to get out of here. And he's like, well, I want a ponytail disappointment abounds. It's like, you know, he, you know, he does have that side to him. And I think if you were to see this play out on screen, you know, the, the, the banter with Otis would allow for a lot of that. So no, I like the Otis part of it. I liked, I liked as well. And by the way, that, that scene where Bart's running, I love that that was the whole impetus for haunted yeah like where you, where you bring in the speed demon because bart's like i never ran that fast before in my life and now i'm always running but like I, like i would have loved because bart allen was such a great part in smallville such an underutilized part in the show and and he's given a real hero send-off in uh, i mean he's given the same send-off all flashes are given you know <laughs> At the end of their run, so to speak. Yes. But like vanishing into the speed force, just like every flash does. Yeah. It's, and you know, he and Clark even exchange, I love yous mm-hmm. in that. And that was another instance where, again, I just, I don't, I couldn't really imagine Clark on the show saying, and not that he wouldn't feel it, not that he wouldn't. Really? It. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. Because Clark asked Bart to stay with them. Like Jonathan True. and Martha were ready to take him in, like as one of their own. Like that was. I thought that. Was, oh, and we have to point out when Clark went to the future. Yeah, when he went to the future in in the in the time of the Legion, there's just one 
brief, like, brief shot of a woman chasing her son, and she screams, Bartholomew, Alan, you stop running away from me. And Clark just looks, he's like, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that was great. And no, man, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Like, as far as the Justice League characters that the show introduced, I mean, I know we spent the most time with, with Justin Hartley's Oliver, and I enjoy the character, but but uh kyle galner as as bart my favorite hands down of mm-hmm. the justice league character so uh no i was happy to see him get the play in the comic you know you mentioned uh the bit about you know thomas wayne being approached uh to join veritas L- let's talk about some of those other other callbacks to the show because there there were the one that for me you know really stood out and that i i really did appreciate was in argo right where we find out at the end of season nine when clark banishes all of the uh, the the Kandorian clones, right, during that rooftop battle with Zod, you know, he banishes them to another plane of existence. Like, they never say on the show, like, where they went. You know, we find out in season 10 that wherever they went, they punished Zod by sending him to the Phantom Zone, right? We had that whole bit. But it's like, you never knew, like, well, what became of these people? And so you find out that they they formed this Argo colony, right? And now in the future, they're in conflict with uh, with Earth and and Kara's involved because of course at the end of Smallville she went off into the future, so that I was that was really cool. Like that was one of those things where I was like, oh, like this really enhanced something from the show. I enjoyed that. And and they even say that like he sent the Argo colony out to the same subspace where Krypton was, so they're under a red sun, so that they could live you know without powers and everything. And then they brought that back in for the Lantern. Uh, arc when like because they're all clones the lantern ring couldn't find anyone of worth so they looked for the only kryptonian in the area and that's when the the ring of power comes to clark right and it especially i think that happens after like um after the whole clark being an alien thing and then um all the manhunters start coming in so you see like Oh well, now he's an alien. Now he's green. What is going on? Like it's, it's a really nice organic way to kind of weave in the Green Lantern Corps into a world where you'd never think there'd be a Green Lantern Corps because there's just no like apart from the Justice Society arc where Alan Scott was in there. But they like they even say in this comic we don't know what kind of loophole Alan Scott used right to become a Green Lantern. Like that that was. I, I love that. Like that was just really fun. But I, I I do like how kind of organic everything is. Like I feel like me, like maybe these aren't episodes in a season of Smallville, but they're they're multi episode arcs. I think. Like because uh, I think they they described each arc, each ep, each uh, chapter as being like a mega episode. Okay. So like so like maybe an hour and a half, two hour episode of Smallville. Like during sweeps week or whatever, but that's when you can have like green lantern and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, the Argo stuff was, was cool. And I, I did like, you know, when, when Clark is in the future and he, you know, he's brought there by, you know, he's with booster gold and then they go to the future. And, you know, when he links up with Kara, they have this whole exchange where it basically becomes clear. Like Clark didn't know like where she went at all. Didn't really seem to be all that, concern like they have this back and forth where he's like well i was kind of busy like the world was ending he's like you know by the way i could have used your help and she's like well you know jorrell sent me away and he was like yeah that guy you know he had a weird, <laughs> had a weird way of operating uh but you know again it was nice to you know put them back in, into contact with each other again i i mean this is a separate conversation i i 
for the most part, do not think the show did well by by the character of, of Kara. I think, yeah. you know, they, the, the introduction was strong. And I think mm-hmm. in terms of the performance and who they chose, like, great. But, you know, she was always being, you know, cast aside. She had amnesia and it was powerless and in the Phantom Zone and the future. Everyone had amnesia on that show at least 13 times. True. This is true. <laughs> I, I always thought it was weird that they were bringing in Kara as Supergirl who could fly. And yet we have a Clark that doesn't like, I, I always felt like, okay, this is like, that was the limit of what they were allowed to do. Like what, what the, what the CW was allowed to do. Like, okay, we'll let you bring in Supergirl. You can't have wonder woman. You can't have Batman, but we'll throw you a, a green arrow. And you know, he's rich. He's got gadgets. It's the same thing. Basically. <laughs> basically yeah yeah that's that's kind of where it was like instead of the trinity we got clark cara and ollie well you know that's why i know fans always wanted batman on the show i never really cared that much though because i felt like we got in terms of everything we saw with oliver and clark and oliver i felt like that's basically what they would have done with batman i mean one of the episodes Mm -hmm. ends with the two of them standing on a gargoyle it's like what else would they have done with, with Batman. So I never really cared I, all that much. Yeah, I never needed Batman on the show. I would have liked recognition that Gotham City existed. Sure. Like like that uh, that I feel like you could have done without overtly referencing a Batman. But like but like you said, like if there was Batman on the show, it would essentially be what Green Arrow provided. Even even going out with like like hitting on Lois and hitting on Chloe, like that's what Bruce Wayne would have done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I never felt like we missed too much. Now, one of the other big things in that Argo arc is they bring back Doomsday in the future. I can't mm-hmm. help but think, because there's a reference in the story about how you know Clark faced him once before and it didn't go well. And I can't help but think <laughs> that that's a little dig at that season eight finale, because I don't think there's yeah. anyone who looks at that and is like, oh, that was such a great episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I do like I do like Clark offhand offhandedly saying I knew I should have buried him deeper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that I'm like okay okay I I see you. I I see exactly what you but yeah I mean the Doomsday Arc in Smallville not the best. I thought they handled it fine here. I thought it was you know as as well done as you can do for a Doomsday Arc that isn't the death of Superman. Yeah, I mean, look, he's was Clark is willing to make the sacrifice. He's flying Doomsday into the sun, and that would be the end of him, but for the teamwork of the Legion, right? They form this mm-hmm. human chain, and they pull him out. Yeah, very nice. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, it, it's fine. Does it does it make up for that season eight finale? Nothing ever will, no, but at no. least it's it's something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, that was cool. And, and, you know, we get flashbacks to that to that fight on the rooftop with Zod, which is one of my favorite moments from the show. I thought that was, was really cool. I think my favorite moment from season 11 and that's also a callback is when the monitors are firing upon clark right to essentially reboot him mm-hmm. and for seemingly the first time ever like no one's ever able to withstand this thing he's able to resist yeah and he's able to hold on to these memories and we re- re- we revisit key moments from the show like when he's standing on the daily planet rooftop in the red leather jacket and when he's mm-hmm. catching lois in the train and from the pilot when he's on his computer and his parents call him down for breakfast and it's like, I am Clark Kent and he fights it back. That to me, like that was 
a moment where he had to summon something from within. We see glimpses of moments from the show. I, I enjoyed that a lot. That was mm-hmm. definitely a highlight for me of season 11. Yeah, I, I always like when characters have to uh, bring it, bring in their human memories and their human emotions to kind of um, help the superhuman aspect. Like, like when I read that back, I was reminded of, I know I'm going to breeze into Marvel for a hot second, but um, in the show Spectacular Spider-Man, there's an episode where... Um, where Peter is fighting back the black suit, which is very similar to what they're trying to do with this continuity. Like it's trying to all consume Clark and the black suit ultimately all consumes Peter attempts to, and you just get the flat, the hits of the memory, like, like, and then it's finally like, no, I have a family. And it's just like, and that is what like, ultimately it breaks Peter out. It breaks because Peter and Clark to me have always been very similar, especially the Smallville version of Clark. Cause like, Peter's discovering these abilities, Clark's discovering, and they both have high school problems, and they both have girl problems, and they both have best friend problems who randomly get amnesia. They're kind of the same character. (laughs) I love that you reference Spectacular Spider-Man. You don't hear that a lot from people, but you should. It is. You should. I love it. It is on Netflix right now for every... If you are a fan of anything comics, if you're a fan of this show and you have not seen Spectacular Spider-Man, it is 26 episodes. It is dynamite. It is absolute perfection personified. Like the only version of Spider-Man I enjoy more is the Lee Ditko run. And that's high praise. Like, I, I, I'm with you. I've always held that up as my favorite incarnation of Spider-Man. Hands down. Like I include everything. It was so, yeah, I, I know it really, you know, kind of came and went and it's been, it's been gone for so long. I am glad it's on Netflix now. Yeah. If anyone hasn't checked out Spectacular Spider-Man, you, you got, I love that you referenced that because yeah. uh, I do remember by, that too. And by the way, if it's not on Netflix, by the time this episode drops, it's like 20 bucks on Blu-ray. Just buy the whole season. Trust me, you will be rewarded for it. If you don't like it, I'll, you can email me. I'll Venmo you $20. Like, <laughs> But I guarantee you're going to like it. Yeah. Listen, what more do you need to hear from folks? Come on. So, yeah. So, again, that like that moment definitely stood out. As far as other, I mean, we could go wherever you want, but as far as other, you know, you know, references from the show, callbacks, things that, you know, they, they sort of, um, you know, took from the show and then went in a new direction. Like, what, what else really stood out to you from this? Uh, I really love the Lana, the Lana and Lois arc, uh, Valkyrie. Like it's it's a quick four issue thing. It brings back Metallo, who I've always thought Metallo was a cool villain that Smallville used pretty deftly. Yeah, for for as well as you can use. Um, and I'm floored that we have not seen a live action Metallo in a movie. That ha- that has baffled me that they've never done that because it's such an easy way to go about it. Like here's a guy who hates Superman and is powered by Kryptonite. It doesn't take a genius to make that one work, but uh, like I'm shocked that the only live action iteration we've gotten is from Smallville. Lois and Clark did a version too. Oh, oh wow! Not as memorable, but you know they did. (laughs) It's all right. It's been a bit since I've seen Lois and Clark, so I may have to revisit that. And I don't know. I I I have to check. Superboy might have. I I know. I feel bad whenever we like talk about like other iterations. I just the Superboy show. Always, always gets lost in the shop. I don't know offhand if they did. They might have, but uh, yeah, definitely Lois and Clark. And uh, no, I really like the Smallville version, the Brian Austin Green version of of Metallo. Mm-hmm. No, and I was happy to see him pop up in, in Valkyrie. 
Yeah, and I, I like that because the way they wrote off Lana on the show always felt incomplete. Always felt incomplete. Like, like okay, so we can't figure out anything for Lana to do. But I love that like Lana Lang is just off in some third world country just helping impoverished people and she has these abilities and she's using them just like just like Clark would. Like and I love that it's it's almost weird how much um it kind of made me think of the movie Hancock. Okay. Because Han- because Hancock like they're two superpowered beings and the further away from from each other they are on the planet, the stronger they are. That's kind of like what they did with with Clark and Lana. And I love that we were able to see Lana kind of be a badass. And one of my favorite um, Superman the Animated Series episodes is Girls Night Out. Or maybe that's Batman. I forget which one it is, but it's definitely it's Batgirl and, and Kara teaming up against Livewire, Harley, and Ivy. And Val- this Valkyrie arc felt like Girls Night Out. And it was really great because it's all these it's all these military guys who don't know what they're doing and they're all idiots. And you have Lois coming in and be like, I'm an army brat. I know what's going on. Lana, what are you doing here? And then it's it's like Lois and Clark teaming up, only there's awkward emotion, awkward uh, emotional drama because like Lois immediately hides her wedding, her engagement ring, so that Lana doesn't see it. And like and Lana has already seen it, doesn't mention it until after the cri- after their little crisis has passed, and it's like I saw it before you turned around. Like it's it's a really great moment. I could picture Erica Durant and Kristen Pruick actually killing it. Yeah. So that was actually another question from from Brian, our patron, about what I thought of of the the Lana story here. So. Overall, I liked it. I think it made up for a lot of the disappointment I felt with her farewell in season eight. I mean, you know, when we season eight, it was like the best of times and worst of times. They, you know, the show moved forward in some really exciting ways, but there were also some some real, real major, you know, fumbles there. And I have never it's never sat well with me how they wrote Lana off the show. The fact that she you know, absorbed all of this kryptonite and is literally physically toxic to Clark. The fact that and I've said this exact thing on the show before, but what I, the fact that like the last time that they interact, like she's walking away from Clark, like collapsed on the barn floor, crying out for her. It's like, no, it just felt like, you know, we need to get to a point where Clark is able to move on. Not, not that he like literally can't be with her. I, I always hated that. The other thing too, that, that bugged me was, you know, Lois and Clark on Smallville, they don't begin any, even you know, have any beginnings of a, of a romance until season eight after, you know, Lana's not on the show, right? And then mm-hmm. Lana comes back for this five episode arc. Out of those five, Erica Durance is only in one. And then they write her off. This is after Bride and, you know, Doomsday attacks Jimmy. And then like she goes off with Jimmy for four episodes. And so it's Jimmy. With, with, yeah, oh, Henry. Jimmy. <laughs> oh, <God>. Season eight, <laughs> man. Season eight. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, any anytime Jimmy's mentioned, I always have to throw the air quotes. Yeah, always. Henry, every Henry. single time. Justice for Henry. I feel like we got to think someone needs to do something with with Henry James Olsen, the older brother of Jimmy Olsen. I, we have to have justice for Henry. I'm surprised that Jimmy isn't in season eleven. Yeah, that's what I'm like, saying. I mean, I, I mean, like, I'm like, granted, he couldn't be because he was a child, but even still, like. 
something. Like they, they managed to get everything else in there. Like a Jimmy Olsen. We we could use the Jimmy Olsen. That's what I'm saying. It's like Martha makes a couple of appearances. We see, you know, Perry gets a cameo. That they again, I think they could have they could have thrown in more of a mix of characters. But anyway, uh so but what's baffling to me is that for a show that that lived, that thrived on love triangles and romantic angst, it's like, yo. Here's your chance to do a true Clark Lois Lana triangle. What are you doing? So that always drove me nuts. Um, so the, to actually have them have interaction while Lois is in this capacity as Clark's partner, right? Which was not the capacity that she had dealt with Lana before on the show. I really like that. I like their dynamic a lot. I like that, you know, Lana is divested of this kryptonite and her powers by the end of the story. Like Metallo absorbs all of it. So mm-hmm. Lana could come back and she chooses yeah, not absolutely. to. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. It's still to me, you know, not that I necessarily want to see them try to force a love triangle now. I mean, we're past the point of that, but it's still, I still would have appreciated it coming more from Clark. Like I know there was in an early season nine episode, there's that after the, it was the zombie episode, right? Where he and Lois were trying, you know, being attacked. And at the end of the episode, he takes the picture of Lana that he has out of his wallet, right? And that's the way of showing, okay, like he's not still hung up on her. He really can move forward with Lois. Great. But again, I feel like there could have been some kind of opportunity here to show Clark, you know, actively making making a choice here um, yeah. as opposed because, again, with Lana, it just feels like the choices have been made for him. And I would like a little bit more like agency on his part. That's all. Yeah. But the Valkyrie yeah, like, was cool. It was cool. Yeah. Like I understood what they were trying to do, I think, with the Lana exit on the show, because like the the first time we see Clark stumble is when he's around Lana because she has kryptonite around her neck. So that's how she's introduced. That's how she leads. I get it. It's it's a nice circle theory type of way of doing things. But like, I I definitely agree with you. There should have been more agency in the show. And I I do think this series kind of faltered in that we don't get Lois really telling Clark about what happened because Clark is away at the time, and I th- I believe um this is after Clark has gotten rid of the the nanite tracking system. So they're allowed to be together finally after this. And Lois doesn't mention like, Hey, so guess who I ran into in the middle of the middle of nowhere, saving people and making you proud. Like, like, cause you could have had just a scene where it was like, I'm, I'm glad uh, like, like Clark saying, I'm glad Lana found her place in the world. I don't think it ever really would have worked between the two of us or something like that. Like, like there was too much baggage there or something like, because they had a lot of baggage. Like they had, there, there was a lot of luggage in the Clark and Lana saga. Like, but I, I feel like that, that's one thing as much as I love the Valkyrie, because I, I do, I wish there was a little blurb or something that, allowed it to tie into Clark and like him being happy for Lana that she found something to do that wasn't a Chun-Li movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, that's the thing. I, what I, what I take from this arc is that it's not kryptonite, you know, poisoning that's keeping them apart anymore. Right. And at Mm -hmm. least someone has made an active choice here. I just wish it had been both of them or if it had only been one that it had been Clark. Like I, I, you know, (laughs) Uh, but in, in any event, again, I think we're far well, enough along in the relationship where I don't think, you know, it's like he is past that. I don't know how much we necessarily need to see it, but I would have liked it. And we also do know 
at least in Smallville, a lot of the women in Clark's life are much more emotionally mature than he is. Yeah. I so I so so that kind of makes sense because Chloe makes an active decision to stop pursuing him. Now Lana has made the active decision, and of course Lois is ten times more mature than Clark is, probably at any stage of the game. <laughs> On the you know, and I, I like how we've been talking about this. Maybe not so much in terms of like I know we have been going arc to arc a little bit, but I, it, more in terms of talking about the characters' journeys. I, I think that's been an interesting way to sort of frame this. And you know, we talked about Lex and Tess. And, you know, Lois and Lana, some of the key Clark moments, uh, you know, Chloe and Oliver, what was interesting there was, you know, we find out a little bit into the story that she's pregnant and most of season 11 is following the pregnancy until the birth at the end. Like you said, again, I don't mean to nitpick. It seemed pretty clear, though, in the series finale of Smallville when Clark hugged Chloe at the farm when the skies were red that he heard a heartbeat, which would have mm-hmm. been a lot earlier than than what what we seem to but it's okay it's fine yeah um you know i did you like chloe and oliver as a couple on the show and and or in the oh house? yeah yeah chloe, on the show chloe was almost always my favorite character which is oh that's heartbreaking really, man. yeah it's really sad to, to hear now but like she was always my favorite character on the show because i've always loved the guy in the chair for okay. lack of a better term like the spider-man homecoming and I, I love ned like oracle the guy in the chair has always been one of my favorite tropes in comics. And I don't care what iteration it takes, even Jarvis, like in Iron Man's ear all the time. Like that's all you need. If you have, if you have a snarky guy in the chair, you're probably going to get at least a season and a half viewing out of me. But, <laughs> but I, I love Chloe and Oliver. I thought Justin Hartley as green arrow. He was fantastic. Like, I still don't know if I like his Green Arrow better or Stephen Amell's Arrow better because they're very different. They're both very compelling. They're both charming as heck, and they're just different. Like I would have, I would love, would have loved to see a mashup of those two characters in Crisis. That would have been cool. I, you know, I'll say this, I, and you know, this is probably its, its own episode, but I feel, I mean, first of all, and I'm not breaking new ground here, I don't know that we ever get Arrow or the Arrowverse had it not been for Justin Hartley's Green Arrow, because I mean, that showed Absolutely. that this was viable, right? I think, because I was thinking about this, though, in, in reading the comic, I feel like Justin Hartley's Oliver was, I enjoyed them both, really, in, in different ways, but I feel like Hartley's version was truer, was a better, like, comic book adaptation on screen i feel like with the ml version so much of that show was batman-esque and borrowed yes. from the batman mythology so it's like his oliver even was, borrow batman villains exactly so like his his oliver and Green like were very compelling and very well done but it was definitely far more in that batman vein whereas i look at hartley's version and it's like that feels more like oliver queen mm-hmm. so they're great well, they're both great to watch but if it's like which one is the better representation of who oliver queen and green arrow are i would say the smallville version to be honest yeah Yeah, like if you ask me which of those two are likely to have a curly blonde mustache it's going to be justin hartley (laughs) and not going to be stephen amell (laughs) like who's more likely to willingly put boxing gloves onto arrows there's only one of them and stephen amell lord loves stephen amell like he he brought back a lot of what we love about the DC universe. But he's not putting a boxing glove on an arrow willingly, unless that boxing glove has like thumbtacks in it. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Oliver and Chloe stuff in the comic, I thought it was solid. You know, they're, you know, they're trying to reconcile their superhero lives with 
with being becoming parents, right? And I did like this angle that uh, that Ollie, you know, whose identity is public at this point, right, is using his company for superhero relief. You know, mm-hmm. going into areas like a damage that, control type of thing. Yeah, like I thought that was I thought that was cool. I mean, yeah, I I enjoyed them. I mean, they were still perpetually like trying to move to Star City. I guess eventually they did. <laughs> Forever trying to get out of Metropolis, but no, I, I like I thought their their stuff was solid. I, I didn't have a ton to say about that, but uh, yeah, I was on board with their arc. But yeah, like the the Chloe and Oliver stuff, like with them constantly trying to get out of the game. That's to bring it back a little bit. That's what kind of makes me think that eventually. Lois and Clark could take the same route because they saw that it worked with Ollie and Chloe. Like, and who knows if it was, a, if it's a temporary thing that Clark doesn't have his powers because like, we don't know what could happen. Like it could be a Superman two thing where he, all he has to do is go back in a chamber and he can get his powers. If he's ever really called upon to do so, like, he could have just wanted to live a normal life because I mean, and not to get too in the weeds about this, maybe with his powers, he and Lois couldn't have had a child. And if Lois really wanted a child and that's what Clark had to do, I feel like Smallville Clark would do that for Lois. 10,000%. Uh, you know, going back to the, you know, Clark's fate in, in crisis, Again, I, I know I talked about it a lot, and I still do stand by what I said. But my my ultimate frustration with it was just that, you know, when you so if you other than the finale, other than where he ends up, you know, if you look at Clark for almost the entire series, like he only wants to be normal, like he just wants to be normal. He's really wrestling with this, and so. But I felt that the the decision to give him that normal life undermined where he ultimately ended up at the end of the show. However, and I'm sure I said this when I did that other episode, but in case I didn't, I, I will say this because I was thinking about it. I do recognize that giving up his powers to have a family or to protect his family is different than I don't want these powers because I just want to be normal, right? There is a difference there. And I, and especially as a father, it's like I can definitely, like look, if I were, su- I mean, I know it's the thing. It's like if I were Superman and the only way that I really, that I truly felt I could keep my family safe was to not be Superman, for my son, I would not be Superman, but so I, I, I can, I do recognize that distinction. So I will just put that out there. I still, that crisis scene still doesn't really sit well with me. Although going back <laughs> to moments that we like from it, I am with you when he catches Lex's punch and then clocks him and he goes, huh, still stronger. Oh, that was great. Oh, this still stronger line. <laughs> and it, it helps that John Cryer is less physically imposing than Michael Rosenbaum is. Yeah. Because Rosenbaum and Welling kind of shoulder to shoulder, a little bit similar build, similar heights and everything. But John Cryer is so much different of a physical person than Tom Welling. It's like, a, a, he's a hunk. Like, he's a, he's a he's a big dude. Like, I love, love when he said still stronger. Like, just absolutely per- like pitch perfect and john Cryer's reaction like you're not even worth it like that's that's lex and clark that's it like and i feel like if rosenbaum was in that scene he discovered that clark didn't have any powers i think he'd be like well then what have i been obsessing about like i think he would also leave in the same way yeah i know yeah no i i don't disagree so listen, what have we not talked about yet with respect to season 11 that you wanted to get to? Um, I was curious as to what you thought about how they brought in Wonder Woman. 
Okay. So this was an arc that I kind of read. So okay. I really, the audience knows this. I don't like the supernatural magic Superman stories. So Fair. a lot of this kind of was lost on me. I like, I read whenever I basically skimmed through it and wherever I saw Martha, I stopped. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I saw the introduction with wonder woman, uh, you know, the whole bit about Steve Trevor being her secret boy on the Island. Uh, I, you know, the fact that Lois and Steve Trevor were exes, it's like, come on, like, do we have to saddle her with like every male character in the DC? Well, universe? I mean, Lois was already Chloe's cousin. So Lois kind of has to be the glue to every ancillary character that, that we pull in. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. But no, I, I mean, I, uh, again, I guess I didn't have such a strong take on the character. I, I liked her well enough. I didn't necessarily feel like, oh man, the show so suffered from not having her, but you know, it was cool to see. I don't know. What, what did you think? I thought it was, um, again, like I didn't, I didn't realize this at the time, but at now rereading it again, after having watched Supergirl, it's an interesting, like it almost seems like the series Supergirl kind of lifted their whole concept from this Smallville season 11 run because like you have Diana Prince, agent of the DEO with Steve Trevor, who's an on again, off again, love interest. Like, the whole thing reeks of C- of CBS's and CW Supergirl, and I thought that was a really like I wonder how much they just kind of like oh this kind of worked as a comic and it was designed for a TV show roughly why don't we just kind of bring that in have a super powered person in the DEO and just have it be Supergirl? Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I didn't necessarily make that, but now that you're saying it, it's like, yeah, the, I know they did lean into the DEO. I mean, and then, you know, even Oliver and Chloe, right, ultimately accept mm-hmm. positions with them, and Oliver's going to train the outsiders. Oh, I, I love that they brought in outsiders. Like, just see, seeing, like, the one shot of Metamorpho, I'm like, oh, okay. So there is a whole world that existed outside of this where the DEO brought in Black Lightning, Metamorpho, like, Roy Harper was there in the background. Like, this is a whole thing that we could have just glommed onto. And then like, and of course, Ollie leading the outsiders. That's kind of where you want that character to end up. Yeah. Although he's kind of stealing Batman's thunder, but you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> that's how it goes. Well, but, well, Batman has to train Robin. So it's fine. That's true. That's right. What else uh, is on but, your list? Let's see. Uh, well, I mean, Titans go for it. Ah, uh, so so um it kind of extends from the arc where they left Jay Garrick after um after Bart ran away. Um it's cuz what did you think of Superboy in Smallville? Uh It's okay. Okay. It's okay. All right. I think you might like this better because he didn't feel like the guy who played Connor on Smallville. Oh, good. He felt more like Young Justice Superboy. Okay, gotcha. And and with him and McGann, it felt very Young Justice, almost to the point where Young Justice may have ripped this off because Young Justice came <laughs> well after this. What? <laughs> which I, but I love that. Like, because I, I think Young Justice came after us. I don't have my timeline all set up, but. Superboy and McGann are a couple in the Titans arc. And this was all uh, right before Superman comes out as being an alien 
So at after the Titans deal with their threat and deal with Ravager and everything, Clark comes to Connor and says, "Listen, your world is going to be a little different." And here, and it's like, "Here's what I'm about to do. I'm about to tell everyone that I'm an alien." And it kind of like lets you bleed off and let you under let you kind of guess at what their conversation is about. But it was a really interesting, just like little mini arc. And Teen Titans was what brought me back to reading like physical comics. So to see a Smallville version of Titans, I freaked out. I absolutely freaked out about it. Uh, it it's, a, it's a nice little tight four-episode arc. Like I said, they bring in Ravager. And, uh, you know, they don't... I, I believe there's a whole, like, a little flashback of Deathstroke and everything. So they, they do the whole thing properly. But it's like, oh, we could have gone, like, in another direction, too. Like, I love the little parallel storyline. That they brought in, and at the end of uh, Harbinger, that deals with like Brother Blood and Trigon with against John Constantine and Zatanna. So they also bring in Raven into the fold, and that's how she ends up joining the Titans group. So like those two stories kind of work in conjunction with one another because um, Constantine and Zatanna bring Raven to Jay Garrick, so you kind of get that introduction too. Oh, right on, right on. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying I would ne- never read these stories. I, I might, and you've again, I think definitely uh, sold me on it. I just looked while we while we were you were talking. So, Young Justice started in 2010, so I don't think we can charge. Okay, okay, <laughs> charge okay, fair enough. Supergirl, though, I don't know. Okay, okay, but but so so they took what worked from Young Justice and put it into the Titans arc, which is again something I love about this series. Like they take stuff that works from all different aspects of not only Superman, but the DC multiverse and just like, just pepper it in here and there. Like Barbara Gordon being Nightwing is such a different dynamic. And I think it's a welcome dynamic because the women on Smallville have always been extreme sources of strength and comfort to our heroes. And I love that even Batman has one of those. And Bruce gives her a hug at the end. Yeah. When she's going to go off for her blue lantern training. Yeah, no, that yeah. was, no, I, I agree. I liked, I liked that little twist on the mythology and, you know, she's dating Richard from the circus. Right. And then like you mm-hmm. said, he shows up. So, you know, you still get the, the more traditional take, but uh, no, I, I thought that was cool. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, as you're talking about Titans and, you know, we mentioned the justice episode, it's, you know, we would see not long after Smallville left, right. The, the, the building of this TV DC universe and I know you, you can't help but wonder what would have happened. I think Smallville was just a little too early. Yeah. They were just a little too early. But, you know, and part of me, I guess given the way I feel about season 11 generally, I do. part of me is like, yeah, it would have been cool if we got a Justice League spinoff or a Titans thing or Supergirl. But at the same time, I sort of feel like, nah, I'm kind of glad Smallville just did its own thing. And we got those 10 years. And, you know, if we get this animated series, you know, I, I would be intrigued to check that out. Um, it's, it's a, it's a definitely, uh, an interesting, what if though, if, if that show had spawned a universe. Yeah. I, I think, I think if you had tried to make a universe from Smallville, you would have gotten too in the weeds about like, cause like, which characters do you reset? Which characters do you just directly spin off from Smallville? Like, do you have an Aquaman series? Because we had an Aquaman in Smallville that worked perfectly fine even pulled off the color orange which you know is difficult to do for any of us but but like there's a world where each member of the of the justice arc could have spawned off their own series yeah 
There's definitely a world where that could have happened. It's just the technology wasn't there, I think, for a lot of them. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. Like, I think if the Arrowverse hadn't happened and maybe like five years after Smallville ended, you do a Smallville movie and it's one of these arcs, I could see it. Like, you bring back the whole cast, which presumably none of them are in trouble at the time. And you could do like a lantern arc or or like the um the Batman arc or something like that, or even Argo or something like that. Like I think it's abs- there's absolutely a world five years after Smallville if there's no Arrowverse where that happens. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I guess a couple of other, you know, random thoughts. I, I I did I was moved when the watchtower gets destroyed uh, during the crisis battle and it looks like Chloe is going to perish and that's when you know Tess dons her 3D printed red tornado armor and saves her but you know Ollie's desperation in that scene I mean that I really felt that you know that really came through and you know the watchtower was an iconic part of the final seasons of the show to, so to mm-hmm. see that go but then to see it reborn on the moon you know that was I thought that was yeah. that was a nice touch and I kind of liked it both ollie like ollie's desperation to get there like like batman tossing his grapple gun like queen go and even clark flying in to save and neither of them get there in time yeah and it's and it's Tess that saves her and even clark's like uh that wasn't me like that's really really cool like i love that it was like because chloe ultimately is probably the most helpless person not only in the Smallville universe, like physically helpless, but especially in this because she's with child, like she's about to pop basically, like during during the continuity arc. But like she's the most helpless person, and it's not Clark that saves her. It's not Ollie. It's not even Lois. It's this. It's Tess that we've had kind of in the background the whole time, and Tess assumes her new moniker as Red Tornado, and that that was a really really cool introduction i remember um uh one year at comic-con i believe it was 2013 uh i was talking to one of the authors of the like not the authors the artists for the covers and she showed us uh previews that showed tess's red tornado i lost my mind i'm like how does that happen like like because she because she did all the cover art for a cat stacks she did all the cover art for every arc in the series, and I believe she did all of the artwork for Titans. Um, but she showed us a couple little like stills that had been sent to her, and she's like, these are spoilers. You can't tell anyone. But we got to see uh, Barbara Gordon as a Blue Lantern. Like That absolutely floored me. I'm like, of course Barbara Gordon is like a beacon of hope. And like, if... Um, if a if a blue lantern ring is looking for someone on earth like yeah that the barbara gordon that they wrote in here absolutely makes sense because who else can keep batman from killing someone other than the biggest beacon of hope in gotham yeah like she's the light in the darkened city you know what i mean like it's absolutely perfect like no really for sure no that's cool and that's so cool that you got that that sneak peek at it as well i'll say the uh, the last two things that, that were on my list, at least, uh, <laughs> a random thing, but when uh, Lois and Clark have their you know rendezvous at the Fortress because Lex is tracking Superman, and it, it, Lois basically asks, like, was 
Jorel present for what we just did. <laughs> and, and, you know, Clark has this thing. He's like, well, ever since I graduated in Jorel's eyes, like the ever present Jorel has, you know, is no longer an issue. So it's like, okay, that was a nice, I actually wasn't even thinking that, that but I'm that's I'm an Erica Durant's moment. Yes. That's absolutely an Erica Durant's moment. Like, yeah. And that was, you know, that, like that was an instance of, you know, you really feel like Brian Q. Miller, the, the, you know, the love for the show and the knowledge of the show coming through. Cause it's something that's like, Oh yeah. Like that's actually a good bit. Cause it's true. It's not like other versions where Clark has to go in and put the crystal in and then Jorel shows up. It's like, that guy's just, he's just on. He's, he's just Roman. <laughs> okay. Now I have to ask you, what did you think about the Jorel of the alternate earth? being paired with dark side yes that was the last thing that was on my list so we, yeah, we okay, dovetail okay. perfectly yeah, here there we I, go I, so i want to actually i'll toss it back to you for the Jorel part because i what i stood out to me more was just dark side this was an instance i guess i'm going to go back on what i said earlier this was an instance where you know the show really was not able to realize dark side the way yeah. we would want and you get to see him in his more traditional form here and I did like the bit where dark, you know, because they're on an alternate Earth at this point. But Dark Side's like, no, I'm not the Dark Side of this Earth. Like I exist in all realities. Yeah. And I thought that tied everything together really nicely. Yeah. The fact that in order to get Dark Side's help, like Clark has to give the the Jor El crystal of that Earth to Dark Side. Very interesting. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe in the animated series that'll come back. I have no idea. But and very intriguing. And what Dark Side says. This could be the beginning of a new Genesis. Yes. Yes. Like, oh, that works. Like, that works on every level. Just like, and plus, that Jorel was like, we only got glimpses of him because when uh, Clark showed up at that fortress, that's a Jorel that's bereaved and griefed because he just lost his son in this crisis like he knows his son is dead and now this usurper this imposter is coming in like that's an interesting Jarrell. like to to found to work with dark side to form a new genesis like that's just its own weird timeline in it of itself like that's a whole arc that's a whole arc what comes from that yeah, no, th there's a lot of potential there. And look, as far as other callbacks, I like that Clark knew to go to that Earth's fortress because he was like, mm -hmm. well, my Jorel was able to send Clark Luther back. So it's like, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's, like, he's nice. like, I'm sure I'm sure this version's Kalel also had an overbearing ghost, ghost father. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, as we approach the two hour mark here, <laughs> we talked off mic. We we're like, how long do you think this will be? I'm like, well, you know, a lot of my shows do go two hours. I say, but there's no mandate that they do that. That's just you are kind of where it goes. Uh, as we approach this two hour mark, I want to, I want to really thank you for this. Um, I know, again, I wasn't so hot on Smallville season 11, but anytime that I can close a gap in my fandom, it's always important to me. And even if I didn't love the process of reading the comics, I really enjoyed this. And mm -hmm. that's the thing where, you know, hopefully you enjoyed both. <laughs> but it's like, for me, it's like, even if I didn't love the comic, like I get a lot out of this. And so it's, it's overall a worthwhile endeavor for me and the, the last thing i'll say about season 11 is you, you know i mean i laid out why it didn't necessarily work for me but at the same time i don't i don't feel like it undermines the show and, you know mm -hmm. look my main complaint if we boil it down is that it just you know didn't feel enough like the show right it's it's scope was so much larger but i i don't look at it and think oh man they they, they ruined this character or they completely undid you know, if anything, you know, we and we called out moments where I think it, it enhanced or shined a new light on something that we had already seen. So 
this does not occupy even close to the same space as the show does for me, but you know, it earns its spot in the Smallville mythology. I, I can appreciate what it did. Very curious to see what an animated series might look like and to what extent it might pull from this. If at all, I kind of doubt it won't. I kind of think it won't, but we'll see if, and when that happens. Um, but thank you very much for this. Is there anything else you want to say before we, before we sign off? Um, I, I would say like, I, I know the Titans arc, if you do get around to it, I think watching, uh, reading it in the guided mode, because, you know, it's only a four issue arc. It's very, it's a very quick read, maybe 15 minutes. I think seeing it in that might be a good uh, introduction to kind of reading it like that, because it's intended to be like a TV show. So like that, that's, that's the only thing I would maybe recommend because like, it plays differently, at, at least at least it does for me. Because instead of seeing everything on page, and you can see what happens at the end, even though you're not trying to look at it, like to just follow it along scene by scene as you would if it was a TV show. But yeah, like I, I appreciate this because I know I'm not the biggest Superman guy. I know if we had to talk about Man of Steel, this would probably be a much more aggressive conversation (laughs) (laughs) potentially but i i will say i do love henry cavill as clark and as superman it's just everything else surrounding that that i wasn't a fan of but that's that's another that's another thing for another time (laughs) but i I, agree to disagree it's all right exactly yeah like i i do love the back and forth where like you know i can kind of give you my take on it plus i also read it at a different time in a different place in a different mindset about Smallville. Like, like you're like, you were blasting through it, like within the past week or so, just to, you know, get it done and to get through it. I was going week by week, not knowing what was going to happen, not having any kind of spoilers or anything like that. And plus fresh off of Smallville, basically, because like I probably rewatched season, like season 10 before I started reading season 11. So I probably dovetailed in perfectly for me. And who knows, maybe that colored my opinion of because I had their voices so crystallinely formed in my head and I just pictured them moving on right from where we left off on the TV. Right on. No, your, your point is well taken. I'll, look, I'll say this to your credit. I, I have a more favorable impression of season 11 now after our talk than I did before. So, so thank you because that's yes. always the goal. I always want to enjoy stuff. So again, thank you, Mike. Really, this was, you know, you and I haven't spoken, uh, I, I think, since we went to Comic-Con other than, Yeah, I you know, think so. Facebook like, stuff. Maybe, maybe occasionally at New York Comic-Con if we've happened to see each other and Mike always introduces us again. Yes, I see. Yeah. Uh, but so this, I'm glad we got to catch up. Hopefully we can, we can connect for another podcast uh, down the line. And speaking of podcasts, what is the uh, wrestling show? In case we have some crossover audience <laughs> members here, what, what is the wrestling show that you do? Uh, I do a podcast called Wrestling Mayhem Show. Um, I'm a little bit more heightened on that show, a little bit more vulgar on that show. But if you are a fan of pro wrestling, um, uh, I recommend listening to it. Uh, If you are a fan of pro wrestling and you do not want to listen to my podcast, which I completely understand, but you are a fan of superheroes, I will recommend a show called Lucha Underground. It's kind of it's um, it's not a live show. It's a tape show. So they do a lot more intricate storylines involving like time travel and people getting murdered and stuff like that it's very like there's even an infinity gauntlet in a wrestling show which is really fascinating stuff so that's one thing i will 
throw out to the masses. Uh, it's it's uh, partially produced by Robert Rodriguez, and it was on the El Rey Network back when that was a thing. But uh, that's one thing. Like whenever I'm talking to a new group of people, I always I plug two things: Spectacular Spider-Man, Lucha Underground. <laughs> I've done that both in this episode, and I feel like I've done my job. Well, well done, my friend. Well, thank you for making your Digging for Kryptonite debut. It was great to do this. Uh, so thank you, Mike. I hope everyone will check out the, the, the shows that you mentioned. Thank you, audience, for tuning in. As always, I really appreciate it. Look, next week, I've been waiting for this. We've been building up to this. Next week is the beginning of our epic seven-part event, Death Till Wedding. We return to the Triangle Era. It's our sequel to last year's Crisis Till Death. Believe me, you don't want to miss any of these episodes, so make sure you come back next week. And until then, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. Support the show and receive exclusive additional content, including my DC Movie Rewatch podcast at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. Thank you to all patrons for enabling me to produce this show. Also, be sure to explore the other shows within the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, which is home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, all hosted by yours truly. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Visit flatsquirrelproductions.com for more. Thank you all.